following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. It's great to see you this morning. Great to be here together. And uh, let me uh, add my uh, welcome uh, to uh, all of our guests that are here this morning. It's uh, really great to have you uh, joining us uh, here today. And um, I just feel like out of the gate here, it would just be great for me to remind those of you who are part of our Harvest family and those of you that are guests here today, I think this just would be a good reminder. Um, it's not about you. It's not about you. Now, we've done some things here today to help you feel welcome and to make this a comfortable place to be. Um, we've, uh, we've got a great building to meet in. Uh, we set out some uh, reasonably comfortable chairs. We um, have just created an environment that's uh, friendly and warm, we hope, for you. And, and so we hope both for you that are part of the regular church family and those of you that are I guess here today that you feel welcome and you feel that warmth and, and you're glad to be here. We've made it in that sense. We've made it comfortable for you. And in that sense, I guess a little bit, we've kind of made it about you being comfortable, but it's, it's not about you. The reason why we're here today is not at all about you. We're here and the language in today's text and the message we have in front of us today from Luke 1 We're here today to magnify the Lord, and let me add this part, to magnify the Lord and to minimize us. Does that make sense? That's that's why we're here. That's what we're going to see in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at this passage. This is one of the passages that preachers kind of step back from because it's just one of those like top 10 most awesome passages in all of Scripture. The Magnificat. Mary's song of praise to God. He had shown his goodness to her. He was showing his goodness to the people of Israel. And as a consequence uh, to us, even to this day, uh, she saw everything that was happening to her and through her and, and saw that it was all from the Lord. And so she magnified him. She exalted him. She She praised him. She worshipped the Lord as a result. And she saw, and it was so clear to her, and it becomes so clear to us through her song, she saw that it wasn't at all about her. And no matter what God does in you or through you, no matter how awesome that might be or how great of a servant of Jesus Christ you are, or what glory he receives from you and your work. It, it isn't about you either. It's not at all about me. Now, that's one thing to say we believe. It's difficult enough to believe. In fact, it's a huge challenge to live out. Because while you're ready to admit real quickly that, yes, it's not about me, And we're here to magnify the Lord. As much as you already said an amen to that, you're already quickly in agreement with it. It it is in some sense, it's very difficult to believe, very challenging to live out because self... Are we going to be honest here today? Yeah, some honesty here today? Self is our favorite word. Me is our favorite thing. 
I like to be comfortable. I like it when people give me the attention. I like it when I get praised up. I like it when things are going my way. Is that just me or you too? It's you too. It's all of us. This is the default setting of our lives. So today, just fair warning, we're going to tear that down today. We're going to destroy that thinking. We're going to put it in its place. We're going to look at Mary's song where she magnifies God and minimizes herself. That's really what we're going after. I thought it'd be real appropriate today. I'm going to invite Mackenzie Tigwell up here. I thought it'd be real good to have someone who wasn't me reading the scripture. Um, because this is Mary's song and it's quite possible that Mary was around Mackenzie's age when she... Um, got this word uh, from the Lord. And so uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his holy name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has shown, uh, sorry. He has added the pattern of thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Amen? Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Let's thank Mackenzie for reading. Thanks, man. And let's just bow our heads and we'll pray and um, get into this. Father, uh, less of us and more of you. Uh, That's really our need this morning, the real need that we have. Uh, beyond all the other needs that we think we might have. It's less of us and more of you. And God, I pray that everyone here would realize that simple truth. Help us to, uh, to grow, Father, in how we magnify you and minimize ourselves. Magnify you in the preaching. Magnify you in the listening. Magnify you in the believing. And to magnify you in the doing. God, these things I pray in Jesus' amazing name. Amen. Amen. All right, ready to get at it? Ready to get at it? All right, here we go. I magnify God and minimize me when I bring all my worship to Him with all that I have. There's really two parts in that initial phrasing. Um, First of all, this, you could even underline it in your notes there. Uh, The first, my worship is to him. We'll look at that in a second. And then my worship to him is with all that I have. So those are the two parts. It's uh, where I direct my worship and how I actually go about my worship. Now look again at verses 46 and 47. Um, My soul, Mary says, my soul magnifies, notice, the Lord. She goes on to say, my spirit rejoices in, notice, God, my Savior. Uh, For Mary, uh, this is entirely, it's all about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about what he's doing, not what she's doing. 
And I want to come back to the idea, if you could just tuck it away, just a little note to self over on the side. We're going to come back to the way uh, people kind of view Mary in some inappropriate ways. We'll tuck that away and come back to it in a bit. Uh, but right now, we want to get our eyes really fixed and focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's who Mary has her eyes uh, fixed and focused on. But when we worship, it is to be about Him entirely and not about us and our big challenge is and it's a great that this is the first day of, of december because we are in the thick of the shopping season correct how many people confessions here you're real happy that black friday has uh, invaded canada from the united states confession time raise your hand you're happy about that raise your hand don't be ashamed you like it you like it all right and um and so lots of people are getting into the shopping thing right now. I even, true, did some Christmas shopping yesterday. And this is a little early for a man, I get that. Um, but I did some shopping yesterday. I actually made a purchase uh, uh, for my son, Luke. And, and so that's going to drive him crazy that I did that. And that, I'm, and that I'm telling him that right now. And that it's in the house and that he can't have it for three more weeks. Uh, so that was all intentional. Um, but we are, this season just reveals something about us. We are consumers. We are consumers. And we go about, except for some of you who are just like, I know what I want to get. I'm going to that particular store. I'm buying it. I don't care about the price. I'm just buying it. There's a few of you like that. But the rest of us are kind of looking for bargains and we're shopping both in physical stores and online because we are consumers. We like to buy we buy a lot, we fill our lives with stuff, and, and we go to one place, and they don't treat us the way we want to, either with service or with pricing. What do we do? We go to, we go to the next place. We go to some other place. And because there's lots of options, we're consumers. And um, when worship becomes about us, we become consumeristic about it. When we go and we say, we don't like the music here, or we don't like the style of this, or we don't uh, like what they did that Sunday, or whatever, we're just consumers. And we know there's a lot of other stores out there where we can buy worship, where it'll be a little bit more about us, where we just really fit in, and it feels comfortable to us. And listen, when we worship, it is to be about him and not us. And in this word, magnifies we, we understand what this means. It's to exalt the Lord. It's to give Him His rightful place in our lives. We're looking at the Lord for who He is. And I think about this word magnifies, and as a kid, I was like uh, any other boy. I like to take a magnifying glass and burn things with it, right? That's what magnifying glasses were designed for. It was to burn things using the summer sun. Uh, but actually, we would take it and we would, we would uh, look at things so that they would um, be bigger or appear bigger. Appear. appear bigger. Same thing with a microscope. I mean, it was kind of cool at science class. I'm not a science guy at all. Uh, I got, I think, two high school credits in science. I tried to avoid that like the plague, didn't understand it. But I thought microscopes were neat. I thought Bunsen burners were neat. You know, I thought, you know, little chemical things were neat. I didn't understand any of it. 
Uh, but the microscope, same thing. Does it, does it make the thing on the slide bigger or just appear bigger? Just appear bigger. As you take a telescope and kind of the opposite now, we're looking up into the, sky, into the stars and we're, we're looking at something. Does the telescope actually make the moon or the stars or the other planet? Does it make them bigger? No. They just appear bigger to us. You see, those things, these magnifying things, they don't actually change the property of the thing you're looking at. And when we magnify the Lord, please understand, we're not making him bigger. He's already as big as he can get. And really, all we're doing is we're changing our perspective on who he is. And we're understanding the magnitude of our God, the awesomeness of who he is. And, and as soon as you begin to get a picture of that, you start to realize something about your own smallness. Listen, that's what magnifying the Lord is really all about. When you magnify the Lord in this way, you can't help but minimize yourself. You're bringing all your worship to Him. And in that, you're reinforcing the notion that He is awesome and, and, and worthy of magnification. And we are not. And the way that we do this, by the way, so that's kind of the front part of what what we're, we're saying here, are we bring all the worship to him, but how do I do that? Well, I do it with all I have. And when I do it with all I have, it increases, again, the magnification of God, the magnifying of who he is. Because I'm going to worship him with everything I have. Mary says this, this is the first line, and Mary said, Mary opened her mouth to speak. That's a physical action. When we pray as we did a few minutes ago, when we sing as we did a few minutes ago, when we read the scriptures, when, when I proclaim God's word through preaching, listen, that opening of the mouth, that listening with our ears, that's a very physical thing. And so with our bodies, we're worshiping the Lord. We clapped our hands. We raised our hands. Some of us shuffled our feet and moved our bodies a little bit. It's a physical bringing my body to bear on the magnifying of the Lord. And Mary did that. She spoke. She, she sang. This is a poem. It's in meter. It's possible she sang this. It's a physical expression of worship. And then it says that she put all of her soul and all of her spirit into it. Now in Hebrew poetry, lots of parallel statements saying the same thing a different way to bring more color and understanding to it. And so if you look at soul and spirit, you can look at that as two separate things or one thing. But let's just say it represents the immaterial part of who we are. The eternal part. Our bodies will perish, but our souls, body, uh, sorry, um, uh, uh, mind, will, and emotions, uh, that's the immaterial part, that endures forever. The spiritual part, which God regenerates in us, uh, that endures forever. And so, with both my physical being and the immaterial part of who I am, I'm worshiping God with all of that. And if you do that, you're showing how devoted you really are to the Lord. Is that the way you worship? But you come here today and it was a little bit ho-hum. A little bit same old, same old. A little bit I'm not really into this. 
I'm not the guy who sings. I never clap my hands. I'd never raise my hands. It's not me. And beyond all the physical expressions, and there ought to be some kind of physical expression of our worship, for sure, whatever it is. But is it that intangible thing that that you just really sense like the worship is starting right down here and flowing right out from you? Do you have a sense of that? Whether it's really expressive outwardly or not, it really isn't what's under consideration here. Does it emanate from inside of you? Is it spirit and soul? Are you worshiping God with your mind, genuinely engaging and thinking about who He is? Are your emotions involved with it? Is your will conformed to the thing that God is doing so that your whole being is being brought to bear on the magnifying of Jesus Christ? I can't answer that for you. I can't make that determination. I certainly can't determine it from the outward, the physical part, though the physical expression of worship can be a really helpful, good, profitable thing. Ultimately, people can fake the outside and not having it go on the inside. And so if I'm picking a part that's more important here, I'm picking the spirit-soul part of our worship. And again, I can't answer that question for you. I can't make that determination for you. That's between you and the Lord. You've got to sort that out. And come here week by week, and even throughout the week, allow the worship of the Lord to be with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It isn't about you this morning. It's about Him. So I magnify God and I minimize me when I bring all my worship to him with all I have, knowing, check this out next, knowing that he's behind everything anyway. This is Mary's rationale for her worship. This is, in effect, you could write this down, this is her motive. Why exactly is Mary magnifying the Lord? I mean, she knows because her worship is so substantive in its theology, in its understanding of what's going on in her and through her, that she worships from this great knowledge and great passion about what God is doing. Now, let me ask you a question again. Do you know why you're here? Have any clue? Like, do you do you have an understanding I'm here because my wife told me I should be here. I'm here because my parents dragged me here. I'm here because this is what you do on Sundays. I'm, I'm here because this is tradition. I'm here because I'm in my 40s and I've always been here. My parents always brought me to church. It's part of my family tradition. I've never not done it. That's why I'm here. I'm here because I feel some religious obligation. I feel like if I don't come, God's going to smite me or something. That is like clearly the first time I've used the word smite in about 30 years. Thank you, King James Version. Why are you here? What's your motive? What's the rationale that got you here this morning? Clearly you've thought you've done what you're supposed to do. And you came to church, and I think that's great to be with God's people. But you're unsure of the reason. And I would have you be convinced of the reason for your attendance here this morning in worship. I would have you in the place that Mary has herself 
A place of conviction about why she's worshiping the Lord. Mary knew that God was behind everything that was going on in her life and she wanted to magnify him for it. How many of you love that song by uh, Mark Lowry? He wrote it and I think recorded it first. Mary, did you know? You like that song? You like that song? Okay, like Mary knew. I don't know why he's asking the question. Mary, did you know? Yeah, she knew. Sorry if I ruined the song for you. She totally knew. She totally knew. You're going to hear that song all Christmas long. You're playing the CD. You're going to hear that go, ah, she knew, Mark. Hey, she, she probably didn't know all the specifics for sure. She seemed confused at times about how the plan was rolling out. But she knew. You don't have an angel show up in your living room and tell you you're going to have a baby without ever having been with a man and not know that God's at work. You don't have the kinds of things that happen to Mary and not know and not magnify him out of that knowledge. Check out verses 48 and 49. This is what she says. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Now she's not saying that he's done great things for her without knowing what those great things are. She understood that she was of humble estate. You see that phrase? A more contemporary translation would be that she was a nobody from Nowheresville. That was her. Not meaning any offense to anybody, but she was poor. She was female. She was Galilean, and she was unmarried and pregnant. She was a nobody from Nowheresville. She was on the margins of her society under several categories of that. And yet God chose her to do something awesome, and she knew it. And you can see it in the statement she says when all, all generations, from now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. And yet even in that, there's no sense of self. This is where some people get off the rails a little bit. Even in that, there's only magnification of the Lord. There's only exalting his name because of what he did for her, of all people. God, look what you did for me, of all people. In other words, the blessing that people in future generations would put on her is not because of her, but because of him. And that's what's missed. It's all about God. It's all about his son, Jesus Christ. And this does fly in the face of what some would believe about Mary. Mary understood that God was sending his son into the world through her womb. A son who would save those of us who would call on him by faith. She knew that the world needed a savior. In fact, she knew that she needed a savior. Mary was, write it down. Mary was a sinner in need of a savior. In fact, back in verse 47, verses we'd already looked at, she calls him God, my savior. There's no sense here that Mary was anything other than a sinner who needed 
her own son to forgive her of her sins. And so Mary says, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And what she means by that is that people in succeeding generations are going to read this narrative and say, man, was Mary ever blessed? Have you ever do that about other people and you just see what God is doing in their life? And you go, man, you are so blessed. Look what God's doing in your life. Well, you look at Mary's life, and if you had an opportunity to have a conversation with her, you would just go, you got to be the mother of the Messiah. Man, were you blessed. Agreed? That she received the blessing of God, and here we are today, these thousands of years later, thanking God for the way that He blessed her. But it's not biblical in any way to go beyond saying that she was blessed because of what she got to do, as awesome as it was. It's not right or biblical to... Here's a, this, is a, this is going to be an inflammatory word for some people, I get it. It's not right or biblical at all for us to venerate Mary in any way. It just isn't. We can't venerate Mary beyond what the Bible says and what God intended. She was blessed because she was used by God to carry the Messiah. She didn't become the Messiah. Veneration, that word means worship or adoration is for Jesus Christ alone. And Mary makes that clear by magnifying the Lord and minimizing herself. We're building a statement here that's going to be helpful to us as we seek to do the same in our own lives. I magnify God and minimize me when I bring all my worship to Him with all that I have, knowing that He's behind everything anyway and is fulfilling every promise He ever made. Are you grateful for that? That He fulfilled every promise he ever made. He's fulfilling those. Now these first verses that we've looked at, these were really personal verses. Very personal for Mary. What God was doing in her particular life and she magnifies and thanks God for that. But the emphasis shifts in verse 50 and through to the end of the song where she now uh, goes a little bit more kind of all of us together and she focuses a little bit more on what the Lord is doing in the nation of Israel and doesn't just stop at Israel but Israel was always set apart by God to be a blessing to the entire world. And so we realize that Messiah came through Israel. We realize the prophets came through Israel. We realize that the gospel has come through Israel. But now it is spread throughout the world to all of us who are Gentiles. Those of us who are non-Jews also became the recipients of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Able to come into a relationship with him. And so that's what the emphasis is in verses 50 through 56. A focus on God's redemptive plan for the world. And all of it in the form of promise. We had gotten ourselves into a bad place. Gotten ourselves into a place where we were separated from our God as a result of our sin. And that God was going to send His Messiah, Jesus Christ, to offer salvation to us. And what He brought to us 
In this passage, in this song, he, he brought us four things, four promises. They're so rich, and I just believe there are some people here that need to be reminded or told for the first time about some of these promises. That God was ready to pour out into our lives His mercy. That He's ready to pour out into our lives His strength when we feel weakest. That God is ready to deliver hope to people who are filled with despair. That God is ready to give us help at the right time just when we needed it. That's the basis for the promises. And as you work through this, you're going to notice this, how grammar people, that God's the subject of every statement. God's the subject. God's the one who is rightly being magnified because He's the one who's bringing all of this about. He's the one who's going to fulfill all of His promises to us. And what I love about this is Mary's not just singing. It's, it's like she's singing uh, both to rehearse the past, to celebrate the present, and then to let us know and give us assurances about what God's going to do in the future. And it's still the same. It hasn't changed. There's a sense in this text that these things uh, were done. They were being done. They were going to continue to be done by God until everything is done. We know that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. Isn't that right, church? The promises of God are yes and amen in Him. And I just think we need these need these promises we need mercy we need hope we need help we need his strength and so let's look at each of these in turn first god's plan involves a mercy for those who see their need verse 50 his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation there's a conditional sense here of god's mercy coming toward us but but it's not conditional in the sense that we can work towards this or earn it in any way in fact let's start just even with the definition of mercy mercy i've heard it said many times mercy is uh, not getting what you do deserve not getting what you do deserve now help me out here what exactly do we, as human beings, deserve? We deserve death because we sinned. We deserve God's wrath because we violated His holiness, because we moved away from His will. We deserve ultimately, and we like to kind of sanitize this a little bit, and we don't like to talk about it very much because it's uncomfortable for us. We deserve death. We deserve his condemnation. We deserve separation from God. That's still the soft way of saying it. We deserve three letters, four letters, starts with H. Hell. We deserve hell. Everything else you think you deserve, just set it aside. You and I deserve hell. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. I'm grateful for God's mercy. 
I'm grateful for the prayer that God always answers. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Say that with me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the prayer he hears. Because it comes from a broken, humble heart. And see, that's really the only condition when we start talking about what's the condition then to receive God's mercy. If I can't earn it, I don't deserve it, then how do I get this mercy from him? It's for those, the verse says, verse 50, the verse says, it's for those who fear him. That, that word fear, we ought to be afraid. It really is fear. Don't soften it too much. If you're, if you're in line to receive God's wrath and go to hell for eternity, you ought to be afraid of that. True or false? True. And so it very much is fear, but it's fear that is also containing this sense of reverence and awe before God and something that drives us towards worship of Him. We should adore Him. We should worship Him. We should give Him preeminence in our lives. And if you're not desperate enough to do that, then you don't understand your need of mercy. If you're not willing to say, God, I desperately need you. I don't have a way out of the mess that I'm in. If you're not desperate enough to to claw your way to the cross of Jesus Christ and to bow down before it, realizing that His shed blood is the only thing that can cleanse you of your sins. You'll never receive mercy if you're not willing to do that. It's all that's required. Not works. Not merit. Just humble enough to go to him and say you need it. Secondly, notice that God's promises include his strength for those who bow the knee. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Again, parallel statements with the second one being a negative to show the same truth. He's going to show you how strong he is. In the first century Israel, the context in which this gospel was written and this account takes place, Israel was in a pretty desperate place. The Jewish people were in this place of oppression under Roman rule. The execution of the law was ruthless. They were heavily taxed. They were an oppressed people. And they had no autonomy of their own. Despite a figurehead leader who apparently ruled on behalf of the Jews, he was just a toady to the emperor. And so these people were in a pretty desperate place. No doubt all of them knew someone who had been executed by Rome because of seditious activity. It was a tough time to be living in Israel and they felt weak. Now this isn't a huge problem for us. We don't live under a repressive regime. We don't have friends and family who are dragged off to be crucified. Despite our complaints about taxation, we really don't have that much to complain about. Nod your head, please agree with that. God's really blessed us in our country. We... 
We're experiencing the blessing of God right here in our church family, are we not? Not, not really much to complain about here. God's pouring it out. We don't really feel that weak and powerless here. God's uh, giving us himself and blessing us in so many ways. It's not really happening there. And as has already been pointed out in the service, some of us are, are on top of our game personally. In our individual walk with Christ, in our life, things are going really well. We have a good job. We have a good marriage. Our family's going well. We're paying the bills. There's a lot of good things going on in our lives for some of us. And so we don't really have the sense... That we're weak enough to need his strength. On the one side, that's a dangerous place to live. Because I always feel like uh, the next test from the Lord might be just around the corner. True? And we live in this kind of tenuous place where we, not that the Lord's uh, kind of delighting and taking things away from us, but uh, sometimes that's the best way we grow. And, um, And so we ought to be so thankful for the things that we do have and we ought to hold loosely to them for sure. But having said all of that, there are some of you here today and none of that is true for you despite the fact that you live in a great country and you're part of a church that God seems to be blessing. uh, Personally for you, it's not going that well right now. And you're going, give me the promise of strength. Uh, Give me the Lord's arm because my arms feel pretty weak right now. I mean, I've, I've been in that place. I mean, I think about certain people in my life during a very low point for me, and I think back to that Old Testament story where uh, the nation of Israel is fighting a battle and Moses is there leading them, and the Lord made it real clear that as long as Moses kept his arms in the air, everything was going to go well for Israel, and they would prevail in the battle, and Moses was there with his arms in the air. But if you try to do that for very long at all, you just realize how tired your arms can get and how heavy they really are. And, and you remember in the story that Aaron and her, these two men who were partners together in ministry, came alongside Moses and, and he sat down and they held his arms in the air when he no longer had the strength to do it. And I, there are so many men in my life that I just, I, I often call them, you are Aaron and her to me. At a really difficult time when I couldn't keep my hands in the air any longer, you were Aaron and her to me. Thank you for praying. Thank you for your words of encouragement. Thank you for coming alongside me and helping me during that time. I hope you have people like that in your life who when your arms are failing, when you're feeling at your weakest, that those people are like Aaron and her to you. Holding you up and supporting you and sustaining you. Because there are people in the room right now and you're saying, that's the place I'm at. I feel weak. My marriage isn't in a great place. My health isn't in a great place. Someone I love is not in a great place. Financially, it's crushing right now, and I'm feeling the weight of the Christmas season, and I don't know how we're going to make it happen. You're feeling weak. And the promise comes to us that we don't even need to rely so much on our own arms or the arms of of others around us, though God would see fit to use others in our life to strengthen us. The Lord's arm is strong. And He strengthens those who are willing to bow their knee before Him. God promises strength. He'll carry you. 
You just have to humble yourself and ask him. It's all about humility. The second half, the parallel statement here, says that he scattered the proud. If you're standing up going, I can make it. I believe in myself. I have the strength. If that's you, he's going to scatter you. He's going to scatter the proud. And you'll fail miserably in this life. If you're humble enough to go to him and just say, God, I flat out don't have the strength for Monday morning. I just don't. I don't know how I'm going to get through another day of work. I don't know how our marriage is going to survive another day. I I, I just don't know, Lord. If you're humble enough just to call out to him and say, God, I don't have it. I don't have it today. I don't. But would you... Would you bring your strong arm around me? Would you carry me through the day? Would you lead me by your strong hand through the day? See, that's the prayer. God's hearing it. And he intends to answer it. Here's a third promise. Hope for those who live on the margins. It's such great news. I mean, this, this really is the essence of the gospel. That God calls, can I just say this? That God calls the unlovely to himself. That God calls the ones who are powerless, who are weak. God calls those on the margins. Who, who are they? Who are the people on the margins? Who are the people who have a great sense that they are the disaffected? I mean, we live in a country, a civilized country, Society with a value that says that uh, we're tolerant of everybody and we're trying to be completely inclusive. And uh, that has a really great side to it in our country. It has a dark side to it as well. But this idea of trying to be inclusive and make people feel welcome in our country. And yet, could we say that even trying to uphold this value in our country is still failing in many ways let's bring it a little closer even in the church James a book of James tells us we're going to study it later this year tells us that we're to show no partiality none we're trying to build a church here that's reflective of our whole community rich and poor whites and non-whites Young and old, male and female, we want this church to truly reflect the diversity of the city that we live in. That's what we would aspire to. And and, and as we bring all of that in under one roof, we're supposed to show no partiality to anyone. We're supposed to build this oneness. Jesus prayed for it, that we would be one even as he and the Father were one. John 17. And yet... I just wonder sometimes how well we're doing at that. How well do people on the margins fit in to our country, to our city, to our church, into our lives? Let me give you some, um, some people on the margins. Maybe this describes you. Maybe this describes you some of the time and not all of the time. Some people who feel excluded or pushed out or unwelcomed. Single parents. 
older single adults, seniors, divorced, the disabled, the unemployed or the underemployed, the poor, those who struggle with depression, those who struggle with mental illnesses of other kinds, those with criminal records who have recently or maybe even not so recently gotten out of prison, kids who are bullied in their schoolyards and in the hallways of their school, those in our midst who are struggling with their same-sex attraction and can't possibly share it with anyone, recent immigrants, long-time Canadians who are still minorities. These are just some of the people that are on the margins of our society and sadly on the margins of our church as well. We need to be honest about this. Because the default setting inside every one of us is to be with people who are like us. That's easy. To be with people who are like us. And yet God, who is completely other than us, has chosen to reach out his hand and to be with us. Nobody's more different than God and man. And yet through Mary, Jesus Christ became the God-man and invaded our world to be with us, God with us. The central message of Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. We're all on the margins when you think of it that way, aren't we? And yet God reached out to us. God isn't struggling at all in welcoming those on the margins. Verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. There's that phrase again. Now taken away from the personalized, where Mary says it in verse 48, to the general, to anybody of humble estate, to anybody who's on the margins. God's going to bring down the people who have it all going on in this life. All the rich, all the powerful people. It's going to come to an end for them. And God's going to take those who have been on the margins, those who have been afflicted in this life, and He's going to exalt them, those of humble estate, like Mary. Whatever you're in... Enduring right now, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, a better day is coming for you. It might not come right away. It might take some time uh, to be fulfilled, but it's, it's coming. Notice verse 53. He's, he's filled the hungry with good things. The, the hungry, those on the margins, He's filled them with good things. But He sent everyone else away empty. See, if you've made life about you, if you magnify you and minimize God, then you are described here as being empty. And I think you know that. You see, it's in the quiet moments when we're alone, 
away from the hustle and bustle, away from other people, away from the normal routines of life. It's when we're alone. If we're really exalting ourselves, magnifying ourselves in the, in the minds and the eyes of other people. We can tell ourselves a lie about that when we're actually with the other people and when other people are esteeming us and building us up and we think we're all of that. And then we, but when we get alone, you see, it's just us and God and, and there's no pretense there when it's just us and God. You see, I think it's in those moments that we really realize that we're just lying to ourselves about all of that. And the magnifying of self is not getting us anything. It's not satisfying us in any way. And we're being sent away empty. God offers us so much more. He offers hope to those who live on the margins. He he offers to fill you with good things. That's a promise from Him. Last promise. God promises help for those who believe by faith. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He helped his servant Israel. The reference to Israel being a servant presumes that this is believing true Israel. All of those who are genuine believers who have put their trust in Jesus Christ and in these promises. These are those who have faith in him and believed his word and at the point that mary is singing here it has been 400 years since israel has had a prophet that they had been accustomed to having a prophet with them always that god had always had someone who was speaking on his behalf to the people so this was very unusual for israel to go four centuries and they would wonder if god maybe had forgotten about them completely And did you get a sense here that Mary understood that he hadn't? He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. He spoke to us. That's his word. Even though we haven't heard from him in 400 years, doesn't invalidate his word. I believe this. And we can say with a great confidence that there hasn't been any new revelation of, of the inspired by God uh, kind uh, in 2,000 years for us. Uh, five times the length of time that Mary and Israel had waited, uh, we have this revelation from God, the complete revelation that God wants us to have about Himself. And we can trust this. The sufficiency of what God has said here is complete. Uh, we can trust Him. We have only to believe what He said by faith. He's spoken to us. And good things, great things are coming for us. Help is coming. Help is coming. And we can say it the way Mary really wanted us to hear it. Help has come in Jesus Christ. Help is here right now. Trust Him. Walk with Him. Give your life to Him. And help is coming. When Jesus Christ returns, or we're called home to be with him. Great things have come. Great things are coming right now. Great things will come. Mercy, strength, hope, and help. 
These are the promises of God. Magnify him for these promises. Verse 56, Mary heads off to her humble life in Nazareth. After having sung this amazing song of magnifying the Lord and minimizing herself, she heads back to her humble, normal life in Galilee. This is a great moment right here. I love it when we get together uh, as the church, when we I get to praise the Lord, we sing uh, these songs to Him and we hear His word together and we get to mutually encourage one another just by being here. I love this. But in reality, tomorrow morning is verse 56 for all of us. We just have to go back to our life. We've got to go back to work. We have to go back into our homes. We have to go back to the challenges that we're going to face. And Mary was going to face many more challenges. And the reality is we can believe the promises of God, but it, it might take weeks or months or years or decades or centuries. But God will fulfill his promises. Do you believe that? Then magnify the Lord with all of your soul. Let's pray together our God and Father it's um, so reassuring to read uh, this song to study it uh, to uh, Father to see how Mary responded to what you were doing and and then to latch on to those promises and I, I would just pray for anyone who's here today and that's really the thing they need is to believe those promises again. To be assured that you are coming and you are going to fulfill all things in your perfect time. And in the meantime, God, our part is to worship you, to adore you for who you are and to magnify and lift high the name that is above every name, the name Jesus Christ. So God, thank you again for hearing this prayer. And Father, hear us now as we continue to worship you. Worthy, worthy is your name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.